turn together once again to the book of Genesis. We are now in chapter 18 as we continue in the story of the life of Abraham. We saw last week that God himself came down to Abraham and changed his name and reiterated the promise of a son. Reiterated the promise of a son through Sarah, changing her name as well. And he was very specific about the promise, saying that in just one year, Abraham and Sarah would have a son. And so now we are back with Abraham at his place of residence. And we see a story here with Abraham and Sarah and faith. If you'd please give attention to the reading of God's holy and errant word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Our text this morning is Genesis 18, the first 15 verses. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three siahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of Sarah had ceased to be, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No. But you did laugh. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you would this morning teach us from your word. That you would teach us and encourage us, O Lord. That we would know that you indeed are the Lord God. And that we can trust you. This we ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had an encounter that at the time seems unimportant, unremarkable, not something that you would write down in a journal or a diary? You met someone in passing, or you stopped at a place, and then as time goes on, you realize how significant that event was in your life. Maybe for many of you, it was your first chance encounter with the person that would become your spouse. And as the years go on, you you have this conversation around the dinner table or when you're out. Do you remember the time when we bumped into each other and all the books I was carrying fell and you helped me to pick them up? Did you ever think from there we'd live together, commit to one another, have a home and children and a family, grandchildren? Did you ever think that would be the case? When you dwell on that, it's encouraging, isn't it? Because you see that the world isn't run by chance. The world isn't a series of random events put together. Even the small things in our life are critically important and are the work of the Lord. Abraham is about to have one of these encounters. It appears to be like so many other that he has perhaps had living on a crossroads area, someone coming by and needing refreshment. You know, back in those days, there were no hotels. There were no motels. And if you needed a place to stop, to rest, to get some food and some drink, you had to count on the hospitality of strangers. So I have no doubt but that Abraham had performed this service many, many times. But here this morning, it was going to be different. It was a precursor to another encounter with the living God. An encounter that would encourage Abraham and that would leave Sarah changed forever. And so this morning, what I would like us to see, this encounter is not unlike the way the Lord encounters us. To see three things. First, that the Lord communes with His people. Second, that the Lord assures His people. And then third, that the Lord holds accountable His people. Communion, assurance, and accountability. Let's begin then by looking at the beginning of chapter 18 and how the Lord communes with His people. Chapter 18 begins with a summary statement and then describes it as it goes on. Verse 1 says, And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, what you need to understand is this is kind of the headline for the newspaper article or the magazine article. At the very beginning here, we are not sure that it is indeed the Lord. We will become more and more sure as we go through the text. But Moses is telling us that once again now the Lord is meeting 
with Abraham. He is communing with his people. And the first thing we see is that the Lord does this when we don't expect it. This is perhaps one of the few times when Abraham does not need a strong dose of assurance and promise. Abraham right now is is in a pretty good place. The promise to him is very clear. Not only will he have a son, but God has underlined it and said, it will not be Ishmael, it will be a son from Sarah, and let me tell you what his name will be. His name will be Isaac. God has given this promise in the clearest possible terms to Abraham. God has also given him a sign of the promise and of the covenant in his very flesh. You recall we looked at this last week. Everywhere Abraham goes, he is reminded of the promise. He cannot get away from it. It is cut into his very body. We also, I think, can say that the the time of worrying is perhaps over for Abraham. He has a clock. God has told him when this son will be born. Not just that a son will be born, but when. And you know what this is like, don't you? When you plan a big summer vacation, trip to Disney World, or, or perhaps during the holiday season, during Christmas, to go and visit family, what do you do? You've got this calendar that sits on your refrigerator or on the desk, and you go and you find the day, and what do you do? You circle it in a big, bold color, like red. Or highlighter yellow. And some of you, if you're impatient, as you get down to that point, you will X out the days as it gets there. And there's a surety about that vacation. There's a surety about that trip. It's not just, you know, kids, I think sometime we should go to Disney World. No, Dad, we're going on July 12th. It's on the calendar. That's what Abraham has for this promise. It's very real for him. So he is in a very good place. He doesn't need God to prop him up. And the marvelous thing is that God still appears to him. You see, our Lord is not just someone who looks around and sees who needs a bit of a helping hand. And he steps in. No, the Lord wants to be with his people. And so he comes down to commune with Abraham. And he makes this sudden appearance. These three men suddenly appear. On some level, every time there is an encounter with God, it's surprising, isn't it? You don't expect to see God there. And so they appear to Abraham as he is by the oaks, trying to stay out of the heat of the day. Now, you need to understand, this is not exactly a convenient time to come. This is the official time in Abraham's day planner that he writes, nap time. This is a siesta. It's incredibly hot. The Lord has not seen fit to bless Abraham and his family with the wonders of air conditioning. And so he does what anyone would do at this time of day. He finds the best shade he can find, hopes there's a good breeze, and tries to sleep through the heat of the day so that he can do a bit more work when it cools down. And these three men pop up in front of him. Now, you can imagine this. This is an unexpected appearance. They didn't call ahead. They didn't make a reservation. Perhaps there was some noise, or Abraham saw that the sun was blocked, and there was additional shade in his eyes, and he opens his eyes, and he sees these three men. It's a startling thing. 
And then he begins to do what he should do or what he has always done, which is to invite them to stay and to have a meal. But there's something odd that's involved here because here we have Abraham, patriarch of the ages, defeater of kings, wealthy man, friend of Pharaoh's. And three strangers come in out of the blue and he acts like he's a busboy. Do you see it? He goes everywhere. Look at verse 2. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And when he saw these men, he ran from the tent of the door to meet them. He runs to go meet them. And he finds out that they're here and he asks them to stay. And he runs back to Sarah and he says, hurry up, come on, get dinner going. Get it in the oven, lady. We got guests. And then he runs out and he goes and he finds the best calf that he can. Look at the language. He goes out and he finds a calf tender and good. This tells us that he didn't just say to a servant, get me some food so that I can throw it on the plate. No, he goes himself and picks out the choice calf. Something is up here in Abraham's mind. He's running about. He's rushing Sarah. He goes to get the calf and he runs back. He takes the best of the milk. If you've ever wondered about the nursery rhyme, curds and whey, what curds are is when you have milk, it's the good fatty part at the top of the milk. It's the really, really good butter, so to speak. And he pulls all of this together. And there's something at work because you recall what he told the three men. He says, why don't you stay and I'll give you a bit of bread. This reminds me, you know, of days gone by when I would eat an Italian feast at my grandmother's house. And we would have soup and we would have pasta and we would have peppers and we would have meatballs and we would have everything under the sun. And right after the meal, my grandfather would push away from the table and he would say, well, that was a good snack. That's like what Abraham is doing here. Let me get you just a little bit of bread. And he comes out with a feast fit for a king. Something is at work here. We don't know what Abraham knows at this point, but at least he senses something. And it reminds us of something in our Christian life. We have to resist the urge to be too rational with the things of God. I don't mean checking our minds at the door. I don't mean trying to do irrational things. But we have to understand that God is not completely comprehensible by our reckoning. Because we are finite and He's infinite. So sometimes when things happen with God, they catch us by surprise and they're bigger than we expect and we don't really know all that's going on right away. But the Lord wants to be with His people And he wants to be with them when we need it. And so these three men come, and it seems very natural. Three visitors, they come and they eat. Abraham could just as easily have said, I'm busy. It's a busy time of the year. I don't really have the time to put together a meal. But he goes to all of these efforts. And there's something at work, Hebrews reminds us in chapter 13. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained 
angels unawares. So let me ask you this. Are you hospitable? Are people welcome in your home? Or are you too worried about how picked up your house is to show hospitality? Are you too concerned that you can't place a sumptuous meal in front of people? You see, one of the things that this text is teaching us is that hospitality is part and parcel of being a believer. It's an important part of being a believer. Because sometimes who you entertain is more than you expected. And it's not just angels. Because our Lord reminds us in Matthew 25, He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And so we see here that God can be at work in ways in which we don't exactly understand. And God comes here to Abraham and to Sarah for one, I think, explicit reason, and that is to help the faith of Sarah. You see, Sarah still has her doubts. God had told Abraham all of the specifics. And you remember Abraham came back home, had to tell Sarah, they had to change their business cards, he had a new name, she had a new name. One can almost imagine the first week of that as they called to one another. And she said, Abram, oh wait, oh, I mean Abraham. Yes, Sarah, oh wait a minute, no, I mean Sarah. And you can imagine, this would be a reminder of God's promise, but the thing is, is that Abraham must not have been completely convincing because she still doubts what's happening. God had given this very specific promise that Abraham had not been able to get that across to Sarah. This is a challenge for all of us as we follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be able to lift others up, to yield the promises before them that they might know that the Lord is is at work But perhaps it wasn't just a doubt that affected Sarah. Perhaps Sarah was guilty. Perhaps she felt guilty about where they had gotten to this point. Remember, it was her idea to have Hagar bear a son. And you remember, she did not enjoy how that came out. And so maybe she's thinking that what's happening here is the Lord is withholding the child of the promise because she was guilty. Maybe she needs to die and get out of the way. The Lord knows she needs help. And one of the things that's wonderful about the Bible is that it's very real. You see, only in the Bible would God, at this time, come down and worry, not worry, deal with the faith of a woman. In this day and age, In many societies, women weren't even people. They were property. They were to be seen and not heard. They weren't to be concerned about. But you see the wondrous thing of what our God does? Millennia before, some people got false notions about what equality is. He's treating this child of God as an equal with her husband. He came down to encourage Abraham's faith, and now he comes down to encourage Sarah's faith. He calls her by name. He will not let her escape 
into her own misery. And you see, that's the second thing that we see here in the text, is that not only does the Lord want to be with His people, to commune with them, He wants to assure them. The first way that He assures them is by His very presence. Prayer can be a very difficult and dangerous thing. You see, we think of prayer as a way in which we are comforted, but often there is an unease that comes with prayer. Because we think about prayer and we think about how we should pray, and we believe, we come to believe, that proper prayer should be answered. How are you supposed to pray? Well, you should really, if you really want to pray, you should kneel. Don't just sit, don't stand, but kneel. And really good prayer is when your eyes are closed. So you should kneel with your eyes closed, and you should try and figure out all of the proper ways to pray. And if I do this within this box, then God will answer. And if he doesn't, we somehow think we have messed up prayer. Did I open one eye? Did I not pray long enough? Did I not pray hard enough? Why is God not answering prayer and that feeds into our natural sense of impatience right who likes to wait for things i could ask you all to raise your hands and it'd be easy because no one would not only is that in our nature that's that's that is the state of our culture right every aspect of our lives is how can we have it faster 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 you ever get online and read the reviews of the various web browsers And how they tell you, you need to switch from one to the other because it's 50 milliseconds faster than the other one. Why do you need 50 milliseconds? But it's faster. It must be better. It's faster. That's the way we live. It's why microwaves were invented. It's why every time-saving gadget that you can think of has been invented. It's because by nature we're an impatient people. And so Sarah could be praying and not understanding why her prayer has been answered. She might wonder, what is the cause, just like you? Did God not hear me? Do I need to pray louder? Do I need to pray better? But there's another thing that slips into our thinking. The enemy is aware of this, and he sneaks into our thoughts the temptation to believe that God heard our prayer but he's not able to answer it. It's just too big of a deal. Either God isn't able or we're not worth it. And he won't expend the energy. And you see, God will not have his children stay in that spot. He will come down to earth and meet with Sarah for her sake and for your sake so that every time you are waiting for an answer to prayer, you can look at this text that is eternal and say, my God is able and my God cares. And the irony here is the delay in answering Abraham and Sarah's prayer is evidence of God's power. God says, you'll have a son. No, no, not the typical way that the ancient Near Eastern kings do. No, not through a handmaiden. No, not when you're young. No, not when you're just old. No, not when you're just really, really old. No, when you're really old, about dead. 
that's when I will bring the Son. And you see, this delay in answering is to show God's greatness and His love for His people. Do you think that John Newton's mother complained after his conversion that she had to pray for 30 years for her son's conversion? Or do you think she took a step back and saw that her God saved the most wicked of slavers in all of the United Kingdom and saw how great her God was? That's how God acts. You see, this delay shows that God's in complete control And God is working in Sarah's life for her sanctification to bring her along, to make her attuned to His will. And the Lord works that way in your life too. Sometimes He makes you wait for that good job or promotion. Sometimes you don't get into the school you really, 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 really wanted to go to. Sometimes you can't afford that car or that computer or that house that you want. But in all of this, the Lord is at work in your life, attuning your will to His. You see, God comes down and assures Sarah because He understands that she has an unease about her because her focus is on herself and her own self-worth. Think about Sarah. She had heard the promises before. She had gotten the specifics from Abraham. She saw Abraham's actions before her. And yet the facts that she was looking at said otherwise. With all of the promises, with all of what God had done, with all of what Abraham had said, she could not stop. She could not take the blinders of the fact of how old she was off. God had to fit into her reality. Instead of the other way around. Because she was thinking about her own power. She uses this wonderful image and metaphor. She says, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, it's not just that she's old. It's not just that she's tired. It's not just that she's old and tired and beat down. She's worn out. Like an old shoe. You know those shoes that your teenagers wear just a little bit too long? And you can see half a foot coming out? And they're walking around in shoes and they yelp and you say, why? And they say, a stone hit the bottom of my foot. Well, what's the shoe for? Oh, there's this big hole in the shoe. Or that favorite sweatshirt your husband wears. You know the kind that's got the big hole here under the arm? Frayed all around the neck, stain, ugly looking stain over here on the side. And you say, why don't you just throw that out? Oh, no, this is my football watch the sweater. This is the, this is the salsa from when we went to bowl game. And I jumped up. See, that's how Sarah feels. She feels worn out like an old piece of clothing. It's the same word that's used when the Israelites are wandering in the desert. She feels worn out, useless, and she can't do anything, any good, anymore. And that's when God comes in to use her. To remind her that she is not. She needs God's presence to be assured that she's really not worn out. That she's really not useless. That in God's sight, He can do wondrous, miraculous things In her life. Maybe you need to know that today. Maybe you're feeling a bit worn out. 
Like time has passed you by. Like there's nothing else that you can do for the Lord. There you can be of no help to anyone else. God comes to you and he says, I give you an assurance of my promise and my power and my presence. You have worth because I say so, says God. And he assures her not just by his presence, but by his very word. You see, Sarah is all concerned. She thinks that all of this depends on her works. She thinks perhaps maybe she's a little bit more sanctified than that. It all depends on her faith. Have you felt like that? You look at others and you say, well, they think it all depends on what they can do. I'm just so much more sanctified. It really all depends on how hard I believe. Like it's different. And you see, God says it doesn't depend on what you can do. You think you're old. It doesn't depend even on how faithful you are. What it depends on is me and my ability, God says. And he says this wonderful phrase. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, this word hard here is a very rich word. It's not just difficult, although it has that connotation. In other places, it's translated wonderful. Like that famous verse, wonderful counselor in Isaiah 9. God is saying here, is anything too difficult? Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too extraordinary? Is anything too supercalifragilisticexpialidocious for God? No. Don't ever doubt God's ability to enact His will. Every time He does it. No matter what the opposition, no matter what the doubts, no matter what the people say, no, nothing is too hard, wonderful, extraordinary for God. Because you see, God is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is sovereign. And if we think about this, it's the sovereignty of God that makes our faith real. We place our trust in Him because He is the one in control. We place our trust in Him because He is the one who can. We place our trust in Him because we can't, but He can. He is not standing up off somewhere in heaven, wringing His hands, wondering if we can somehow make a way of it. He's not nervous that we have enough faith or that we make the right decisions. He's not manipulative of us. He is simply the almighty God. And that's exactly what it means. And he begins then to speak to her. He says. Why? Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? He's he's very emphatic. If we were going to take a little bit of liberty with the Bible translation, we wouldn't just say, why did Sarah laugh? We would say, why in the world did Sarah laugh? It's very emphatic in the Hebrew. And it's not just, why did she say, shall I indeed bear a child? It's, shall I indeed really? Truly? Come on. Really? Will I have a child? Why did she say that, God says? 
He's very emphatic. And at the same time, he's assuring. Is there anything, anything that God can't do? And he's also comforting in his word. He tells her exactly when the promise will come true. He lets her circle her calendar. He lets her look at the promise. This is how God holds forth his word to you. It's a real promise that's emphatic, that is assuring, and that is comforting. All of the promises of the Lord are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. But there's one final thing that we see here. I think it's something sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. We have the promise of God. It comes down to us. And the Lord not only communes with His people and assures His people, He holds them accountable. The Lord knows who we are. You see, He knew Sarah was doubting. He knew she was taken off her guard. She reacted to the Word of God the way we often react. She was taken off guard, and then she looked at it from the human side and chuckled. And then when God called her on it, she denied it because she was afraid. This is too good to be true, she says. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's like saying that just because God says that by merely believing that he sent his son to die on a cross, all of the sins that I have ever committed are wiped away. Now, can that really be true? You mean, you mean I don't have to make a pilgrimage? You mean I don't have to memorize half the Bible? You mean I don't have to give away three quarters of everything I own? What, what do you mean? You mean just, just believing? No, come on. That can't be real. You see, we look at it from the human side. And we chuckle. But God holds us accountable to this. He says, it is true. Believe it. And then we say, well, you know, we never really did doubt. We really were with God all along. And he says, no, you weren't. You were afraid. Remember that. Fear no more. You see, that's how the Lord comes alongside us. He knows that we have difficulty believing the greatness of his promises because humanly speaking, they don't make sense and they can't be accomplished. But he comes to us. He's kind. But he's forceful. Does it make you uncomfortable that this passage ends? No, you did laugh. See, we would like it so much better if God would be kindly and say, Oh, I didn't hear you laugh. But that would be cruel. Because you see, God reminds Sarah that she had doubts and she has to move past those doubts, that she has to have her faith strengthened and He is there to strengthen it. He holds us accountable. And the way that He holds us accountable is that He makes Himself known to us. He tells us that He is able. He tells us that He is the one who builds up. He reminds Sarah and us that it is not dependent upon us and our wisdom and our power, but upon Him. Is your view of God big enough? Do you think, do you know 
Do you count on the fact that he can do what he says? You see, he has promised in his word. It is up to you to believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was not just a man, but that he was the second person of the Trinity? Do you believe that he went to the cross for the sins of his people? Do you believe that he died and made full atonement? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that he has prepared a place for you? Do you believe that just by faith in Christ that you will live forever, that you will rise from the grave and be together with the church eternal? These are the promises that the Lord puts before you. They depend on him. And what he has done. He said it in his word. All that remains to you is to trust him. Trust his promise. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning as a people who believe but need to be strengthened. We ask, Lord, that you would help our unbelief. Lord, meet with us this morning. Do not let us out of your presence. Do not let us out of the power of your word. Hold on to us, O Lord, that we might know the great blessing of your promises. This we ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.